0: duty shall be done old grad podcast where we feature unscripted interviews with graduates of the united states military academy class of 1991 the duty shall be done old grad podcast with your host jamie schleck starts now
1: all right we're back and we're this is episode nine of the old grad podcast with uh, becky canis margiata our classmate from uh, Company A2, Signal Corps from Claremont, California, and she is the principal and owner of the Billions Institute, uh, also a full-time uh, wife and mom. And Becky, we are so delighted to have you on on the call here. This is version 2.0. We kind of screwed up at first. This is like a a soup sandwich. Do you know what a soup sandwich is, Joe? Yeah. Soup, yes. a soup sandwich. So it's so a slice of bread, it's some soup, no slice of bread.
0: It's just yeah. all fucked up. So yeah. we had a little bit of a problem. But that's, hey, listen, this is this is all about trial and error, right? This is all this technology. We're still on the you know the the last frontier with this technology. Yeah. You know, it's the wild wild west. So we'll get there.
1: So let me just say, I mean, we're, this is going to be a whole new sort of broadcast but we want to quickly go through what, what we just went through before, which is the fact that Becky is totally my one of my heroes in this world. When I think about people who are accomplished classmates, I really think about Becky, because Becky has done amazing things in this world as a social entrepreneur. She's been highlighted. Uh, she's, she's, she's been awarded um, in the White House. She has been uh, a TED Talk um, uh, uh, presenter. She's uh, highlighted in 60 Minutes. She did a great talk on uh, something called Got Your Six. And she's just an amazing person. And I'm so delighted to have you on the call, Becky. And I'm sorry for our little bit of a screw up trying to get the video to work, uh, which is not going to work tonight. But we'll, we will eventually get it. So, Becky, welcome to the Old Grad Podcast.
2: Oh, thank you for having me. And no worries about the technical difficulties. You're bringing me back to my my signal core days,
1: <laughs> which reminds me, actually, uh, there's a video I love of you. somebody should. Tested on. I should look it up on uh, on YouTube. Your signal corps. You were recollecting uh, having to wake up your your was it your battalion commander in the middle of the night because yeah. the whole damn yeah. the whole damn switch had gone down. Right. So t- t- tell me that story real quick.
2: Oh my god! I was a first lieutenant. Uh, had done my platoon leader time, and then I was in the S three shop and in the twenty fifth infantry division, and it's just a training exercise. But the whole division comms went down. And it was just it was one of those technical difficulty things. It wasn't anybody did anything. It's just, you know, you get what you pay for. And uh it was three AM and I was on the like the, the low person on the totem pole, so of course I had the night shift and we were just watching everything go red and we were like, I think we need to wake up the battalion commander and uh I went and woke her up and she came in and she just, you know, very seriously looked at, you know, this whole big dry erase board that was all red instead of green very seriously took it in and then she like literally like poked me in the chest and she goes "Unfuck this lieutenant and like she walked out went back to bed <laughs> I was like oh my god <laughs> and uh, it was awesome that was a great leadership moment in this really cool way right where she I think she really you know she went on to be, become a two-star general and uh, she really trusted her people you know and she really put the pressure on on, on you right like really different leadership move if she had been like let me stay up all night and fix this myself right like that was lieutenant's work to unfuck that it really was right but um it was this this kind of cool thing of both feeling the pressure but also feeling kind of empowered to kind of fix things
1: and i think also it, it is almost like a um was a harbinger of your of your career later the things that you would take on, which would be taking complicated things and unfucking them, right? That's kind of been your, your mantra. Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 Um, um, one of my personal heroes and Jamie, like I'm really humbled to say, you think I'm a personal hero. I, I was just remembering that time you came into the city to meet me for lunch. And we're talking about how, you know, you're finishing up with your successful business and wanted to give back. And so vice versa, you know, it's very mutual, but, and um, another one of my heroes is this guy, Dr. Paul Farmer. He wrote the book Mountains Beyond Mountains. And um, people say to him, like, oh, you're doing such good things. He was actually in Haiti working on tuberculosis when I was in Haiti um, with the 25th Infantry Division uh, as part of the peacekeeping mission there. And uh, they always, they're like, oh, Paul, you do doing such good things. And he goes, no, no, I'm not doing good things. I'm undoing bad things, right? These are bad things, and we can undo them. And that, that always stuck with me. Mm. And so between... Between uh colonel General Hicks now and paul farmer I, I think those those two are real inspirations to me of what what we can do while we 're here
1: absolutely, absolutely. Do you still stay in touch with uh with, with general Hicks?
2: I do often on, yeah and and I stay in touch with quite a number of people I served with um but um uh yeah she, in fact she's someone who um her advice is partially why I'm a parent today. She, I remember she had a a daughter. I think she was close to her forties when she had her daughter and she just loved being a mom. And, and, um, I remember, uh, when I was contemplating whether or not I wanted to become a parent, I asked, I wrote to her and I was like, you love being a parent so much. Do you have any advice for me? And she said, um, well, if you don't, if you don't have kids, you'll never know what you're missing. And if you do, you'll never regret it. So you can't make a bad decision here. Mm-hmm. And
1: uh,
2: that, that stayed with me forever. You know, and I think she's totally right. On that.
1: So tell me about those little kiddos. Tell me about the, uh, well, we who got, do you got?
2: We got, um, so Huck is, so now I turned, we're all about the same age, right? So I turned 50 next summer. So Huck is four and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, um, he is, uh, a little engineer in the making. And, uh, just loves math. He's very excited about the number pi right now for some reason. Mm, that's um, interesting. And, uh, that's pretty cool. I know. <laughs> He's like, I love you. We have competitions of how much we love each other. Like, I love you all the way to Mississippi. I love you all the way to the sun. He's like, I love you all the way to pi because mm. he thinks it's the biggest number. And I'm like, well, it's the longest number, but it's really only a three. you know. Mm. And so we have these fun conversations. And then um, Vivian is two, almost three. She'll be three in January. And she's just, she is a riot. She, she, she's like, you just don't mess around with her. She knows what she wants and she lets you know what she thinks about stuff. And Just super awesome. And she has like kind of a little bit of a speech impediment. So she says like her R's are W. So my favorite aunt was in town, my Aunt Sharon. She's like, Aunt Sharon, won. Aunt Sharon. Won. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is super cute. And, 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 and i tell you what, I don't know if anyone, other classmates have kids this young, but oh my God, they're just exhausting too. Right. Like, I mean, I haven't been this tired since like first year Mm -hmm. (laughs) with with sleep deprivation and all that. So yours are older now, right? You got, you got kids.
1: Yeah. My youngest, high school. Yeah. My youngest is 13. So I got, uh, I got 20 years old, 18, 15 and 13.
2: Oh my goodness. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's so cool. Jamie, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And so you and your wife, Christine, live in Claremont, California together. How long have you been out there for? Uh,
2: almost going on nine years. Longest I've ever lived anywhere in my whole life. Um and uh I think uh I think this is gonna be where we're gonna be. This is gonna be where we're gonna raise our children, you know, and knock wood and hopefully you know, no fires and, and uh um it's pretty awesome out here. I really love it.
1: Yeah so you moved out there as part of the 100,000 Homes campaign which was um an initiative of Community Solutions at, well, originally Common Ground I think uh Common Ground Communities when you started it. So I mean I yeah. I so 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 take me through that whole thing like like what what was what we we're jumping around here Let's so let's give me the give me the I'm high following. level I'm tracking. Well g- give me the high level readers readers digest version of that and then we'll go back and talk about the army and transitioning out of the army so 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 tell me what that was because that got you out to california right so we're kind of talking about that yeah yeah. we'll
2: go backwards yeah yeah yeah. yeah, well um i i lived in um in uh new york city for seven years west village and then uh brooklyn and worked for paul haggerty's our classmates um big sister roseanne who you know now well too And uh, so I worked for Roseanne for 11 years, and seven of those were in um, uh, New York City. And um, uh, what we did was, uh, she hired me to reduce street homelessness by two-thirds in three years in Times Square. I knew nothing about homelessness, zero, 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 but I just knew I wanted to do something I felt zero ambivalence about. and just through trial and error, me and AmeriCorps and a couple other people, some formerly homeless people, we got homelessness down 87% in four years. And other cities started asking for our help in adapting some of our techniques. And, um, uh, I started flying out pretty regularly to work in Skid Row in Los Angeles. And I just kind of, in this really weird way, fell in love with Skid Row was just so fucked up. And, uh, I was like, man, if you're if you're at all interested in solving complex problems, you have to come work on Skid Row some. And uh and then um if I could back it up just TV bit. I think uh uh people appreciate this was I, I at some point my dog died, all these things happened and I realized I just want to do something I feel no ambivalence about and I reached out to my social P my former social P uh Colonel Jay Parker and said, Hey, you know, how you doing? I just wanna do some networking and like I I want I was a stockbroker. I was like, I want to do something that I just can throw myself in with no ambivalence. And that night, he met Roseanne at some event. And Roseanne said to him, "Um, I'm looking for someone with a military background to take on street homelessness in Times Square. And Jay was like, oh, my God, Becky. And literally the next day, Jay called me and he said, this is straight out of West Point. He goes, put your pencil down. (laughs) Cease work. Stop everything. Call Roseanne Haggerty right now and uh so that that's how that happened but she threw me she threw me at street homelessness basically knowing nothing and um, the, it was right around the time that the second war and uh, the gulf was starting and i remembered that um or i know, remember remember of because those deck of cards you know, like Saddam Hussein yeah, yeah, yeah. was like the ace of spades right. and everybody was that and everything. And and I don't know why Roseanne Roseanne thought she needed a logistician. She thought she needed someone to kind of knit together all the disparate work that was being done. Um and uh I remember telling her like Roseanne, you know, like if you if you brought the army into self homelessness, they'd do it. They'd just do it. Like all these social workers aren't doing it. <laughs> you know, like we just just do it, you know? And um and we' When when, this is getting to like the the dynamics of homelessness, but um, the the gist of it is 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 if you're going to get homelessness down, you need to know who's actually sleeping outside. You need what you know in the military we call boots on the ground intelligence. So um, me and my team would go out from four to six in the morning every morning, even though everyone else would work from like nine to five. And um, we would get we'd survey them, we'd find out how long they've been out there, we'd take their picture, we'd get their names, and we basically made our own version of those deck of cards of here's here's so-and-so. He's been out here 24 years. We're going to get him first. Here's the next person. He's been out here 15 years. we got to get him. Here's this woman. She's like high on heroin all the time, but she's been out here 17 years. She's really vulnerable. And and um, it was that, that shift of getting the by name list of people and and making it person specific and find out. How long they have been there? Nobody did anything even remotely like that. It was just all uh, first come first serve, and just finding people who they thought could keep. But most of the way that outreach was done before Common Ground got involved in it was, um, you know, first come first serve, and well, this person seems like they'll be okay. And we just really turned that completely on its head.
0: Now, Becky, this is Joe, and I just wanted to add this: what you're doing, so sure. so, so the so the listeners have an understanding. I'm an emergency management coordinator and in the state of New Jersey we have something called a um Code Blue alert that's put out, on which you're right. you're familiar oh, with. Oh yeah. Code Blue. Yeah, and yeah. where local municipalities have to provide for anyone that they know of
1: if the first it's a response. Certain, below temperature, certain yeah.
0: temperatures, correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're currently yeah. under one right now and through Thanksgiving uh morning. And uh mm-hmm. even on a small scale, it's very difficult. It's a it's a it's a big task to track a small number of those who do not have shelter during uh, the code blue mm-hmm. activation. So for the listeners to understand the tasks that, that, you know, you were uh, uh, trying to uh, complete there as far as documenting and tracking these people on such a large scale. It's every, always uh, every evolving people come on, oh, yeah. they drop off, come on, drop off. So the amount of manpower, and uh, effort that it takes to do that it's it's enormous. I can't imagine handling that
2: uh, yeah, well, you know when, when Roseanne originally hired me, she hired me to do all of West Midtown, so for, if you're familiar with the city, it's from twenty third street to fifty ninth Street 59th, and then from yeah. Sixth Avenue west to the Hudson River. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like three hundred people every night, yeah, and so we just we couldn't we, it was just um it was too much, right? like we just couldn't wrap our arms around that many people coming and going yeah and so we shrunk it down we shrunk it down to just the the blocks of literally of where at the Times square like 20 square blocks and and there's still 55 people sleeping outside that was the highest density and and um uh, listen i appreciate all that you're doing on those code blues i've done many code blues myself and okay. it's it's just it's astonishing um just the, also just the resilience and strength of people who can um survive in those conditions. Um but it's not pretty. You know, it's no fun being
0: out there in well, that. Most most certainly is not, no. Well I'll tell you what Becky
1: what Becky basically did was um she changed the she changed the way that uh people across America approach homelessness. This whole issue about a by name list, being able to track upstream of it, look at inflow, um, to create something called a vulnerability index, which was the way to sort of prioritize people so that your most vulnerable got seen first. So anyway you know, outside of I, I, I don't want to get too much inside the sauces factory of ending homelessness. But the bottom line is, is that you know, <laughs> Becky basically she changed the game for the way that this country does it. That's why she was recognized by 60 Minutes. That's why she has been, you know, um, such a rock star across the country. And she took this this mindset of solving complex, difficult problems and converted it at a, at a more macro scale and created an institute for people that are big problem solvers, right? So tell me quickly, uh, or just let me know, Becky, about Billions Institute. Like, what what is that all about? Because that's your baby.
2: Yeah, yeah. So about two years before the 100,000 Homes campaign, we got 186 cities to, to reform how they did their street outreach and to house people that they had really left, you know, anonymous to die on the streets and, and to do house 100,000 of them. And about a year, I think about a year or so before it was done, I'd been working for Roseanne for 11 years at that point. And let me tell you what, girlfriend is a MacArthur Genius Award winner. I got for 11 years, I got emails at 2 a.m. Like she doesn't sleep. Jamie, you're probably getting the emails at 2 a.m. now. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man, I need a break. I love you, but I need a break. And so um, I gave her notice at a year out said, I'm going to I'll finish this campaign. But then after that, I want to. I'm really curious about other sectors and other issues. I'm, I'm curious about human trafficking and healthcare and racial justice and education and climate change and da, da, da. And Roseanne just, you know, she eats and breathes and sleeps homelessness. And so, um, she was like, that's cool. You should do that. You know, let me know how I can help. And, um, the, well, here's the the real story of how the Billions Institute was formed was, um, I was a, got an email that I was a finalist for the Ted prize. And, uh, i thought it was a practical joke for for a couple days but it was real and they wanted me to make a 50 word wish for the world and uh if i if they liked my wish i would get a million dollars um and and you know then have to do it and they said you can call your friends and but let us know by next tuesday what your wish for the world is and uh, uh i called one of my friends i called was joe McCannon who founded the Billions Institute with me. Um, And I I said, dude, they're going to want me to do something on homelessness again. I'm like, I just, I want to learn about other things. And Joe was like, oh yeah, that's cool. I got some wishes though. And he had these just really cool ideas about like starting a virtual country, which he's gone on to do. And he said, well, what do you really want to do? And I said, I want to start a school to teach people like how to do large scale change. And I want to put it on skid row. Like you got to come there. And Joe was like, that's cool. You're not going to get the TED Prize for that, but that's cool. And uh, I called him the next day, and I said, Joe, I could care less about the TED Prize, but I want to go into business with you. I think your ideas are really cool. They said I was thinking the same thing. And so we we hung out a shingle, and I wanted to start a school for nonprofit leaders on how to how to do large-scale change, and Joe wanted to start a country. And um, all these foundations wanted us to consult for them. And so we kind of spent we, we very, very lucky. I know mean, everyone should be so lucky when you start a small company, but, um, it's been four years now. I've trained, um, over 500 nonprofit executives and foundation executives in our model. We call it our model for unleashing. We define success as orchestrating the loss of control of thousands of people moving in, in generally the desired direction. I think it's, it's actually kind of, I think a little different from West Point's definition of leadership. Uh, and, uh, um, yeah, just uh, been training people from literally every continent except Antarctica have come through our trainings, and uh, I feel lucky every day to get to do it.
1: And I feel lucky that I was actually a member of your first inaugural class, right? That was uh, like You sure were. Yeah, yeah.
2: You were you were a guinea pig. Land. I, I guinea think pig. it would be yeah. unrecognizable. If you came now, it would be pretty unrecognizable from that, but yeah, that was yeah, thank you for doing that. I really appreciate you being willing to take a leap of faith there.
1: No, no, it was my honor and it was very really really helpful for me to be able to better to be a better team member at Community Solutions. So just a, a quick sort of up uh, to, clar- to clarify for people that um Although Becky and I didn't overlap at Community Solutions, uh, I joined Community Solutions as she exited, uh, like uh, about two or three months after she left. Uh, I came on board to be uh, uh, in a different role, like operations and finance. But so I got to kind of like you know be the uh, be the student of Becky, but and, and, and a cheerleader and a total. Um, uh, fan and now i got to follow her into this organization around ending homelessness and so that's why we have a lot of you know a lot of this in common here and she kind of inspired me to move into into this field and so it's been it's been great and you were absolutely right i mean roseanne is like a machine and uh she just <laughs> continues she continues to kick ass and take names and that's paul haggerty's older sister and so paul I think was very much the same way, at least you know, in, mm-hmm. t- in terms of his intensity. And so, you joined Community Solutions not long after Paul passed away, right? That was two thousand one that you joined. He died in, I think, ninety eight. Is that right?
2: Yeah, I was I was at Fort Bragg. I remember Colleen Criscillo told me um, that he passed away. I was still in the army. And I was a company commander then, and um, yeah, I didn't join Community Solutions until or Common Ground then until two thousand three. So about five years. Mm-hmm. Um, five years, yeah, after he had passed away.
1: You did some pretty kick-ass stuff. I mean, you're in the 82nd, you're in the 25th. Did, did you go to the 25th right out, right out of West Point?
2: Oh, yeah, no, so I wasn't in the 82nd, actually. So, yeah, so, uh, you know, you do the whole year of airborne school and OBC and stuff like that. And then, uh, my first duty station was 25th, uh, it was just a regular old signal platoon leader and, and, you know, my S3 time. And then, uh, and then I—they um, were just opening up special operations commands jobs, not special forces, but special operations commands jobs, like in the headquarters or in the support companies to women. So while I was at OBC, um, uh, I, I, or, uh, at the advanced course, um, I got the opportunity to, to go to Fort Bragg to to be the one of the first women officers um, in the. Well, actually the first woman commissioned officer at, in the one twelfth signal battalion. So that is um it's the signal battalion that supports all of special operations.
1: Is that part of the whole G no, Are you like on the compound there when you were there at, at Fort No,
2: Bryan? no, that was just um it was right by the USA Soc headquarters. Okay. Um, so it's like a kind of like a, like left of the eighteenth Airborne Corps. <laughs> going down Yadkin Road and uh um, so I, yeah, I did. I did that, and I was you know, the first woman to command uh, in the, the Special Operations Signal Battalion's history ever. So I commanded Bravo Company for eighteen months there, um, and uh, um, it was just a great experience, really, really wonderful experience.
1: That had to be a great experience. I mean, I, that's I do regret getting out as early as I did and not having a company command. I think that is one of the kind of seminal responsibilities uh, for a young officer and i just i regret that i that i personally did not have it so my advice to all young people that are considering leaving the military is stick around for a company command but that must have been neat yeah
2: it was it was it was was wonderful and and my the people i worked with were wonderful i had amazing colleagues in every direction um and you know i and uh, you know I, i but it, it all, it was all, it was all awesome. Uh, and then my, my last unit, um, was uh, that's kind of a whole nother story, but, uh, a special mission unit, uh, like, a uh, black ops kind of, you know, lived undercover, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. So I did that for two years and then, um, and then I got out.
1: So wait, you, you, you were undercover, like you were like sort of like, like undercover type role.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. I had a cover story about what my job was. And, uh, (laughs) so, uh, you know, the the more, um, banal sounding the name of the organization is usually the more, uh, high speed it is. Yeah. So yeah, I had a cover story. Yeah. I couldn't, it was, and also like, like in the CIA, you can tell your family that that's what's going on, you know, but with this unit, you couldn't even tell your, your family, like nobody could know what you were doing.
1: Wow. That sounds, uh, Pretty cool. Pretty high speed. Yeah. So I don't know
2: if it's still the case.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's maybe let's let's move on to transition since this is kind of a good uh, point to go. to. So so you're in this high speed role. You're doing all this like, you know, just totally like badass shit. Right. And then Mm -hmm. I guess the the time comes and you decide I'm going to leave the military. Right. So So how did that come Mm -hmm, about? mm -hmm. And what was that like for you? And where did you end up and what was going on?
2: Well, so I, so I, 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 we can go back, we can go, well, we're doing the backwards podcast, but I realized that I was, I realized I was gay by my yearling year, Mm -hmm. um, at West Point. And, um, and then once I was in Hawaii, uh, Don't Ask, Don't Tell got passed, which just, it just kind of made it more bearable as a gay soldier to sort of balance, balance everything. Um, but just the whole time that I was in the service, I think it just, I felt like it was just kind of hanging over my head, like, you know, I, that I'm like working really hard doing, being of service, doing the best I can, but the the wrong person finds out that I'm gay and boom, you know, not only am I gone, but like, it's just kind of embarrassing even right. You Mm -hmm. know, it's it's just uh, like, I feel like I would have at the time. now I'd be like, well, that's stupid that I got fired for that. But at the time I would have been just really embarrassed, you know? And so um, I, but, but it did, I wasn't really dating anybody that seriously, so it kind of didn't matter. And uh, But then uh, to, to, towards the end, I, it, I, I thought I was in a very serious relationship. It didn't, it didn't end up actually being that serious, but I thought it was a very serious relationship. And uh, I just couldn't... Uh, I had two cover stories, you know, right? Like I had my cover story to the person I was dating of what I was doing at work, which wasn't true. But then when I go to work, I had a cover story about who was important in my life and where I had gone last weekend or those types of things. And so um, I ended up uh, just submitting my resignation that not have to lie about being gay anymore. So that was in, I did it, um, I timed it. I thought this was like really funny. I timed it so that I could be out of the service on National Coming Out Day, which is mid-October. And then I, um, I got out, I think I out-processed out of Fort Meade. And then I went out to go, with this person I was dating who at that time happened to live in Highland Falls, was a a professor at the time at the academy, and um, I was like an army wife all of a sudden, (laughs) and uh, uh, the next day on National Coming Out Day, I called like, you know, two dozen people I had served with, and I said, hey, I just wanted to let you know, you know, I was gay, and every single person I called was like, oh, yeah, we knew that, and I was like, oh, okay, anyways, bye, (laughs) and like everybody knew so it was like, I was kind of, uh, maybe I didn't need to get out. I think my kind of, I came to the conclusion that nobody really cared, you know? Mm-hmm. So, but uh, maybe, but then there you go. Now I'm a civilian.
1: <laughs> right. So let's, let, let's come back to that transition piece, like in a second. Cause like your, your yeah. point was like, oh, there you are. Nobody cared. Nobody cared. But that wasn't always the case, right? Like there was point. Oh, yeah, then, so there yeah. there, were, there were points where you were actually. Like deathly afraid of somebody finding out about your 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 sexual orientation because that could be the end of mm-hmm. your career or the end of your cadet career. So let's 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 oh, go yeah. all the way back and let's talk about that then. So you know, 1988, 1989. Yeah. Y- you know, you're you're just discovering the fact that this is who you are, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a yearling, and. you know i just also by way of background my family is like i'm the oldest of seven kids like super catholic like just seven kids hold
1: on on. there's seven seven of you wow yeah seven kids yeah
2: and like like go to mass every sunday you know and super duper catholic and it was just never even like my parents were super strict and they were like you know like really kind of shaming about not having sex before you're married and like super kind of prudish and that, you know, like in those ways. And, but it was not even mentioned that it's a possibility that maybe you could be gay. You know, it just wasn't even at all. It wasn't even in the realm of what's possible. You know, I didn't, I never met anybody who was gay. I didn't know anything. And so here I am, you know, my yearling year. And I was like, Oh, I I think, I I think I'm attracted to um, another woman. And this is very bad. This is very bad. This is bad at West Point. This is bad at my house. This is bad with my family. This is bad with the Catholics. You know, this is bad no matter where I turn. Um, But it was true for me. You know, it was true for me. And, uh, but I I don't know that I fully, like, even there's like this secret underground, probably not anymore at West Point of like other people who were gay, who would kind of do the secret handshake, you know, and kind of look out for each other um and uh i remember th- someone was like oh i want to introduce you to some other of the gay people and i was like i don't want to meet the gay people like i just had all this inner homophobia but um my my some of my classmates some of my company mates i think were on to me and so, uh, suspected that i was gay yeah
1: so uh, just uh, i'm sorry no, go ahead. So, so yeah 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 were, was there were there was it both men and women who were gay that were part of this community of people that were connected to one another around this common challenge of their identity or was it just women you know
2: it was just women and like we we must have some gay classmates if you're out there give me a ring like but it was only women and it, it just statistically makes no sense whatsoever that it would only be women okay but um but yeah, so, and, I, and maybe that's changed over the years as well, but I was only aware of other women, basically.
1: Okay, um, I'm sorry. To, I'm sorry. And
2: okay. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a good question, and I would feel sad about that, you know, but, um, so yeah, so my classmates suspected, and then my, my tack asked me if I was gay, and uh, I was Which like, is an, oh, an improper man, question.
1: Like, that is an improper question. You, you can't, I mean, like, well, did you, like, did you blow posts? Like, you're not allowed to ask that question. Like, like, like if you have, so he asked you this question or she asked you this question, right?
2: It was he, yeah, he, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, but it was, um, you know, it was before don't ask, don't tell, you know, like, so among the little, the gay underground, you know, there was all this don't tell anybody and -and so-and-so got kicked out last year and don't tell your parents because so-and-so's parents called West Point and got pissed at them for making their kid gay and then they got kicked out and so you know it was just very much about not really feeling safe actually you know and um so when he asked me I said that I wasn't and, and there's really no proof right he was like all right whatever go back to class you know but um there's just a lot of rumors started being passed around me and where I was sexually engaged and it was it was none of it was none of that was actually true I mean now looking back I wish I had been you know, had that much fun at West point, but right. um, none, unfortunately none of that was true at all, but I wasn't that gay, and, and I, I lied about that, and you know, i tell you, even all the way to the hat toss at graduation, like there was and some, some of your listeners may agree with this, like that I, I was like oh man, you know what, I, I don't there's part of me that I don't really believe I even deserve to be here, you know, um, that if I told the truth, I would have been kicked out you know, I shouldn't be here against the honor code, and it's just something I've carried with me all these years, too, of of just, you know, just feeling, I don't know what I would have done any differently, and I don't think that, you know, the world would be a better place, you know, if I wasn't there in some ways, but...
1: Absolutely but, uh, I think I w- yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, but, you know, what do you know when you're 18, 19 years old, you know? And so I just, um, at that point, I was just really, it was just survival, kind of, you know? Certainly going home wasn't an option either, you know? So... Or didn't seem like it was to
1: me. You know, I, I think about this too. Like, I, and I, as we were talking on the pre-call, I, I'm, I'm ashamed. I, I lament my own perspectives at that time. I, I mean, it's just it comes down to ignorance and it comes down to just not knowing enough, you know, and, and being immature. Mm-hmm. And we were we were talking before. Like, I remember as a lieutenant, and they were talking about like they're going to let gay gay people you know, like be outwardly serving in the military. And my battalion commander like. Sit up in front of us and said, "If that happens, there's like a thousand, a thousand officers who are going to resign, and I'm one of them." The next day, you know, uh-huh. and, and there was oh, like, yeah. yeah, there was like this, like all of this kind of like chest beating, like we cannot allow this to happen. This is going to be a threat to, you know, the good order and discipline of the military, and and the other part of this too. I mean, like so, you know, not that I was like some sort of like you know gay bashing person. I I certainly was not. But you know, when it came down to trying to be funny and jovial or, or trying to, you know, mm-hmm. bust somebody's, uh, chops over something that was the mm-hmm, go-to mm-hmm. place. You, you pretend that mm-hmm. either you were gay or they were gay, you know, and I think about that yeah. That must have been, I had to have been around somebody who like you was like constantly looking over their shoulders and saying, you know, what, I, how insensitive of, of me was that, you know, like, it's just, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm so so much more aware of it today, but it just, it just goes with, I guess, years of development, I suppose.
2: Yeah. You know, Jamie, I just, I, I think we we're all doing the best we could. We we're just kids, you know, and, and like I, 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 when I was in the army, when I saw guys, <laughs> well, I, I shared this with you in the pre-call too, that, you know, as I went to, increasingly elite units right um, that the, the, in the, my last unit was all civilian clothes all first name it was the best you could do to not have any presentation whatsoever of any military bearing right because that would give you away and uh um and, all, and no, no there's no guys like trying to see if you had a ranger tab on each other there was none of that um comparison stuff going on everyone was just like hey we're here everyone is here. Is a badass Let's move on. And, but the more of the elite units I got in, the more, um, the more comfortable, as far as I know, completely straight guys were with just acting like they were gay. And I was the only woman a lot of times to see guys just kind of goofing around about who's more gay. And it was actually just really kind of funny, too, right? Like, I think um, that there's some of it of, like it's one thing to really like beat someone up or harm somebody, but I, in some ways, I think it's sort of even like liberating to to joke around about the just i don't not not in a mean way, but in a um I saw guys having a lot of fun also like there's like even now like um like there's there's like army navy videos where the the cadets are making fun of the Navy guys and they're all in the shower together, like <laughs> doing some y m c a song or something or in the Navy. It's just kind of funny too, right? Like, so there is at some point where it's it's also has some humor in it. I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, trying to figure out where that balance. Speaking of YMCA, you have a YMCA story, don't you, from uh, West Point? What what was that one? Oh,
2: yeah. (laughs) This is a confession of. uh, So I was a company commander the second semester, and uh, right before graduation, like I think after exams were done and everything. If you lived in central area, right around eleven thirty at night somebody put massive speakers in their windows and we played ymca every night so if you were in that in the central area you probably heard it and it just cracked me up that here's this like gay anthem blaring like really loud and um it would it would just incense um, Dave Walker, who was our regimental commander for second regiment. Super he was so pissed about Dave. it. He would call the, he would call the company commanders and battalion commanders on their phones and be like, Get down here now And like like this must stop, you know? And like he was just so furious about it and I, then I see you know I um, know I know, and I know then we have to go
1: I know Dave well I cannot imagine him that way Like he's the most chill guy going But I guess you know West Point has a way of Putting everybody in that Sort of high stress situation
2: He was not joking I think he went to bed early Or something And it woke him up And um and uh, you know, he was like, "Go find out who it is." You know, get them to turn this thing off. And I've been telling you, it was like every night, like clockwork, at like eleven thirty. And um, and I found out um, that was two yearlings in my company were sticking their speakers on it and doing it. And uh, I I just thought it was so funny that I, I I was pretty intentionally like very slow in getting to them every
1: night to tell them to stop it. <laughs>
2: And uh, yeah, it was just I, there's some of the antics and stuff was just really funny to me. I thought I just really appreciate a lot of those things that
1: folks did. You know, it was so innocent too. It was so like wholesome. I think. I mean, I, I mean, of course, like jockstrap rallies and run around naked is not exactly wholesome. But like, like nobody's gonna get hurt doing that. Nobody's gonna OD on drugs doing that. It was just. It was just. Yeah. Good old American, you know, kids uh, just having fun or whatever. But so now you are no, um, you're a company commander, so obviously you did very well, but um, you're no Strack cadet in terms of your discipline record. I see here you've got 103 hours that you boast in terms of your uh, your experience. What did, did you have a big slug that got most of those hours, or was that just nickel and dimed up to 103? Century A century I woman. Was
2: just, I was... It was nickel and dimes. At some point, you know, you get close to the hundred and you're like, ah, fuck it. You know, like, let's just do something stupid. <laughs> but I, I didn't have any cool big slug. It was like, you know, cutting the pie wrong as a plebe or I think I like slept through a class once or, you know, uh, just, just stupid things like that. You know, just really just, you know, um, unforced errors, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and I, I was a really bogus plebe. Like, I was, I feel like I was kind of, there's actually, I don't know if you know Bob Sutton, but he has this book, The No Asshole Rule. Um, no. I don't know, it's like a business book, you know, and he's at Stanford, he's a professor and he, he's become a friend of mine and he just loves stories about West Point. And so, um, in his sequel to the book, he actually, he wrote this little kind of vignette about me because, like... Like I, when people were hazing me when I was a plebe, like I remember. I mean every now and then, you'd have a bad day, and you'd be like, "Oh man, I'm just not the mood for this." But mostly, I was just like, "Ooh, good one," you know? Like they're hazing me, and like I felt like, uh, you know, this this is kind of like I get it that this is kind of a joke. You know what I mean? Like I get there's a purpose, but it's also kind of absurd. And um, so I think because I was such a boat, like I just kind of thought most of the upperclassmen were mostly kind of like amusing and entertaining, you know, which, and, uh, so they didn't, they didn't appreciate that very much. I think I got a lot of them when I was a plebe. <laughs>
1: yeah. I, I, uh, I'm impressed by anybody has 103. I mean, I don't know how many people are century, century men and century women. I would say maybe 10, 15% at most. So that's uh that's pretty impressive.
2: Yeah. It just, you know, it's, yeah, it was mostly about the early years. And, yeah. <laughs> like, just dumb stuff. Like, I remember, you know what I got? Once I got hours, like, uh, someone, remember there was, like, thieves, like, when we were first days up in the lots and people were stealing cadet names, uh, those little plates that got you on post? Right. Like, someone someone stole my tires and my name plates. <laughs> I got hours because my daylight were gone. I was like they were stolen. You know, it's just like it's just uh, you know, you can't win for trying sometimes. You know, and so that's uh, Bill's character.
1: Yeah, Bill's character. So speaking of building character, let's let's fast forward back up to this transition time because this is a this is a great sort of story and it also connects to yeah. a lot of because one thing that we all have is we all have a transition story at one point or the other, right? So and it's mm-hmm. a big big mm-hmm. event leaving the military. So so you basically managed to get through West Point, you're looking over your shoulder the whole time concerned about being found mm-hmm. out for 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 being gay. You served in the military, yep. served in the army honorably. And by the way, along the way, also your, your, your sister follow you to West Point, right? So you're, you have a, you have a sister yep. in this class of 96, right? And Ni- uh, Yeah, 95. 95. Yep. Okay. And then, so then yep. she, she, she basically served with you in the 82nd and that must've been great. And, and you mentioned also that like at this point, I guess you're out to her, right? So she knows that you're gay and you guys are living together and you're trying mm-hmm. to conceal uh, or, trying to not get found out for your being gay at, at at fort Bragg, right, so
2: yeah, yeah, so you know everyone yeah so cindy Cindy was class in ninety five so she was a lieutenant when I was a captain, and we had a house together, and cindy um Cindy is very straight. <laughs> Cindy had Cindy had boyfriends over at the house and we both had we both l- liked to socialize and had a lot of friends. And I was out to most of my colleagues and friends by that point. Wow. Um and to Cindy's as well. And um it was just uh or the ones who came to the house and, and uh um yeah, and and it, it kind of it almost kind of wasn't even an issue because I was never really dating anybody seriously. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So it's just kind of like hypothetically, um, and but then to people I wasn't out to just constantly. People would say, "Why aren't you dating anyone? You're such a good catch. What's I'm gonna hook you up with somebody." You know, like all the all the officers' wives when you're the you know in mm-hmm. a woman in a woman in a unit that's mostly men. I remember when I was a lieutenant, I just like super rolled my eyes at the officers' wives and like I'm not an officer's wife, I'm an officer. But by the time I was a captain, I was like, oh my god, your wives are like way cooler than you guys are. And so, the at the 112th, anyways, the officers' wives were just a riot and really really fun. And mm-hmm. but they were always trying to set me up with somebody, <laughs> and like, and that's where like just like the don't ask, don't tell policy. It was just kind of stupid right because you hear you have these like really nice kind people who could care less really but are who are trying want you to be happy you know and are like set trying to set you up on dates and um and and then i was in a situation where like i i just kept, kept coming up with stupid reasons of why i wasn't dating somebody you know
1: mm-hmm. didn't you you had somebody else try to set you up too right you said you had this big uh this big beefy lieutenant that worked for you uh in your oh, yeah <laughs> Tell me that story.
2: Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. that's yeah, so We're at PT one morning, company command, and this guy. We called him a big ass. He was just this huge, huge knuckle dragon lieutenant of mine, and he came up to me like you know six twenty five before PT started at six thirty. He goes, he goes, hey, Captain, Gaines, I got a question. <laughs> he told me aside. I'm like, what's up, big ass? And he goes, hey, are you gay? And I, and uh, it was like in this I had this flash of this moment of like this moral dilemma of if I if I tell him yes, you know, he could kick me out of the army and all these bad things. And if I tell him no and he finds out he li- that I lied to him, like I could one day be asking him to do something that would put his right li- life at risk. And that's just wrong, you know? So in that moment, um I just kinda have my hands on my head and I was like, Yeah, what's up? You know? And <laughs> he goes, Oh, there's this really cute girl in the other unit, and I thought you guys would be a nice couple. Can I introduce you? And then I was like, then I pulled rank on him. I was like, that's so inappropriate, you know. Uh, but it just, I have just so many uh, weird experiences like that where, you know, there's this big policy that seems like it's a certain way, but actually the, the human beings are generally just very, very kind and want everybody, you know, to be happy and succeed and do well in life. So that was, that was one, just another day at PT.
1: (laughs) Did, did don't ask, don't tell, did it lighten it up? At least do you think, I mean, like, whereas before it was like a real, like red line, like you could not cross, like it was like, and, and people were going to run out. Like did don't ask, don't tell kind of like change the op tempo of running people out of the military for being gay.
2: Yeah, I think it stopped it. I think like, so, you know, uh, from what I heard that before don't ask, don't tell, what was it called? CID, like the internal investigation people, um, the MPs who would do internal investigations. That is that what is that the right acronym? CID, CID? yeah, something CID. like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, let's say like there's a, like a gay bar ten miles away from Post or something, and sometimes if you go there, that CID used to go and get the license plates of people who had, you know, the little blue tag up front, you know, so that you could get on and off a post. They would get the license plates and initiate investigations of people, you know, just because they were at a a, a gay bar or something like that. So nothing even remotely like that happened while I was in. So, but I think 10 years before that, it certainly did. And people lost their careers and, and, you know, dishonorable discharge and there's, you know, uh, take, uh, took a lot of, and then they don't get veterans benefits and all this stuff. And all they did was go to a gay bar, you know? So, Mm -hmm. so that changed a lot. Um, that changed a lot. And, and so I think that happened in 92 and 93 and it definitely felt different to me.
1: That's why I think, I mean, I'm no Bill Clinton fan. That's the well-established, but the, uh, (laughs) I think me neither, by the way. Yeah. Um, but I and th- I'm
2: a, and I'm like a, basically a socialist, but I'm not a Bill Clinton fan. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah.
1: But you know, I, I I do I I do credit him for it. that was kind of a brilliant, uh, kind of diplomatic move was to get that initial step done. Like, cause that that was able to set us mm-hmm. up for the next big step, which was to completely sort of, you know, get rid of that. Uh, but and mm-hmm. i understand it was ambiguous and if like for those of us that were you know in the military at that time it was like what the hell does this mean like don't ask don't tell but i think that yeah i mean i don't think he intended to have it happen that way but when you think about is there some sort of middle ground that nobody's thinking about like to get you halfway there so that you can get all the way yeah. there later i mean that maybe it was oh, yeah. it was maybe a, a smart move but um so so you got out in your two thousand. Is that two thousand one?
2: Yeah, yeah. Before um, before nine eleven. A year before nine eleven. Yeah.
1: So tell me. So I, so wanna I got hear, out I wanna in, uh, hear,
2: October two thousand.
1: I want to hear your nine eleven story, but before we get there, I want to hear your transition story. So you, you're, you, did you transition yeah. out from the eighty second? You, you, Fort Bragg? No, no,
2: I was in. No, uh, I was you, never in 82nd, yeah. uh, so the eighty second. Yeah, I was in the special mission unit. Yeah, right. so I was. A human intelligence operative, you know, a human operative, and and uh, um, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, put in my resignation, and uh, um, <laughs> you have to meet with your colonel before mm-hmm. you get out, right? And so, you, you know, they, I'm sure they spend a lot of money. You know, I went through this crazy month long assessment and selection process, and almost a year's training to be an operative, and. I commanded a second time and, and they, it's kind of like uh, they, they they would say, I don't know if this is politically correct, but they would say there, there like once you go black ops, you never go back. Like I could have stayed there mm-hmm. pretty much forever, you know, right. and it's, it was good, right? It was good work. And um, and I know that I'm sure that there's spent some money on all the training I've received. And so when I, after I finished that second command, um, I put in my paperwork, I had to go see the colonel. And um, he's like, he's like why are you getting out and i was like i, I couldn't i didn't want to tell him because i'm gay right again right and so i was like um i read howard Zinn, <laughs> he's like people since the united states and and um i'm not really really sure that all the wars that you know that the military fights are really ethical and he was like you fucking read howard fucking Zinn. <laughs> and he like totally went off on me and uh, i was like well i mean i don't know what else to tell you you know at this point and um he was like Jesus Christ, you know, like I'm fucking <laughs> he was so pissed. I wish I wish I could go back and talk to him. But mm-hmm. uh if that wasn't the real reason. Um but but uh, uh went to got my paperwork for me and then went to go live air quotes happily ever after, you mm-hmm. know, with the person I was dating at the time up at West Point and, and 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 she was like, Hey, you know, you've been working really hard, like I don't know what you've been doing, but you've been working really hard. Why don't you just take a break and and you know it's not that practical to go work down in the city. I don't think from Highland Falls where the jobs are. You know, and so, so I just kind of hung out in Highland Falls and was an army wife. And I mean, we weren't married, but like I got invited to the events. <laughs> like I was like, uh, we we'd go to Shades Pizza. <laughs> we would, and, and you know, and, and like the what happened? Like the 2000 election results were out. Remember that whole thing for like. Bush v. Gore for like, like weeks. It was like, what's it going to, where's our country going to go? And I remember just like, I didn't have to do PT anymore. So I was just kind of, I think I just went through a depression. Like, I think my whole, so much of my identity was wrapped up in not only just being an army officer, but, but my most recent experiences then of being in this special mission unit that um, I didn't really have a sense of purpose anymore or, you know, nobody needed me for anything. Like, and then next thing I know, I'm like going grocery shopping and picking up dry cleaning and like, you know, doing errands. I just like, I was so lost, you know, I, and, and really I wish I at least had the, like know what I know now, to like at least keep doing PT at the very least, you know, for your mental health. But I really think I kind of went through a depression, honestly, like for, like a solid maybe year, you know, mm-hmm. I, and then, and then 9-11 happened. Right. And so, you know, and, and you know, for me, I didn't know that that was what was going on. Right. I just knew that I didn't feel awesome about things, you know? Right. And so I don't know if that's common. Like, I want to listen to all the other podcasts. Like, I, did you, was it a hard transition for you?
1: I think it's very common. I, I, I wouldn't say it was, um, as, prolonged as yours but maybe in some ways it was even more prolonged because it was like you know you're always feeling like this importance like is lost in civilian world like you have to look Mm -hmm. a little harder for it and so Mm -hmm. like you know you went from you know being on the frontier of freedom and serving our country and leading soldiers to you know like you said take you know doing dry cleaning and running errands and like thinking yourself is this it like this is the next Phase of my life is this yeah. job, but you know I, yeah. I so now you and I got talked a little bit on the pre call about this. So then, it, like I was blessed enough to be able to you know run a company, um, sold a company, and was able to move into nonprofit. And I felt like at the time, like this is my reconnection to a broader mission. Like I've missed this thing for so long. I need to be reconnected to this greater good, serving our country and doing yeah. these kind of things. And I and I and I do feel very. Um, fulfill doing that but over the past four years that I've been doing it I've come to a bigger realization I think which is how important all that other stuff is uh, to everything you know Mm -hmm. if if you do Mm -hmm. not have people working taking risks employing people making money paying taxes none of that other shit works and so, like, oh, yeah. you have to, I, well, I, I think you may have to just look a little harder for it and say, you know, if I'm a stockbroker or if I'm a, you know, manager of a production facility or if I'm doing this, I'm doing that, you have to look at the impact that that has. I mean, now that I'm working, like, as you know, in in in, uh, in areas of concentrated poverty and I see that there's this, this connection to, like, this lack of, lack of systems working and lack of uh, economic opportunity, it all connects back to people just humping it, making it work. And if that's not working, then there's this second and third order and fourth order effect that is really, really bad. And, um, and so anyway, to, 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 um, Mm -hmm. to all of us that may be out there trying to think about like, you know, is this just a life of quiet desperation that I'm working so hard in this, in this role, but I'm, I'm lacking this connection to a higher purpose. You just got to look a little bit harder. You know, I mean, we have been trained to do these amazing things as leaders and as, um, you know, to to develop other people and to develop processes and to be accountable and to be, you know, uh, uh, responsible and to and to make shit happen. And when we do that, the whole system works better and everything works better. So, it's my little public mm-hmm. service announcement. But anyway, to to your earlier question, did I? Yeah, did I go you're through, here. Yeah. Well, yeah. did I go through a transition um, challenge? I certainly did. I, I, and I and yeah. I I I uh, always felt. You know, I was connected, I was in the reserves and I would, you know, go on my reserve ATs and do this and do that. And I'd be like, oh man, I do, I do kind of miss this. But, um, and I think everybody does that. Everybody's going to, everybody who transitions out of the military, which is everybody, um, you know, they're Mm going to go through some sort of like imposter syndrome and some kind of like trying to look for who is your tribe? Like who are, who are your people that you can can connect to? And eventually if you look hard enough, you're going to find it. Yeah,
2: yeah, and and Jane, I to, totally concur with you that um, there's nobility in the for-profit sector, or as my friend likes to call it, the not not-for-profit sector. <laughs> and I mean, and there there's also just straight up greed and selfishness, right? It just depends on who you are and how you show up. But but you know, the nonprofit, a lot of the nonprofit work that you and I do, or that our livelihood in many ways depends upon, would come to a screeching halt if it weren't for the the generosity of, 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 uh, of businesses or people who've made it, who, who, um, redistribute their wealth and no one's making them do it. Right. So, um, so it's all connected. I totally agree with you.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, and there's also nothing wrong with greed either. I mean, like, like, you know, making money and, 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 and also, Uh, But I mean, not in a way that is detrimental, like creating value, like getting your fair share of the value that you create, there is not, and being, and being ambitious about making that happen. There's nothing wrong with that. Like if you're making money because somebody else is losing, like in a a zero sum game, well, that's not so cool. But if you are creating value, you damn well should get your, your, your fair share of, of the value that you've created, which is maybe related to greed. Yeah. So
2: yeah, but, yeah. 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 It, it's a, it's a different, um, it, it's a different thing. Absolutely. So yeah. It, I'm, 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 i I think I, I think I agree with you a hundred percent on that, Jamie. Good. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, oh, so, uh, I'm getting a, I'm getting a note here from my, from my, uh, from my engineer here to say hello to the people that are listening. So I don't know if I can fully see that I'm looking here. I, I see uh, Nancy, Nancy Lynn green has been on the phone and Moni Fox and, or has been on the, on the, on the, on the uh, Facebook um, podcast. Rob Craddock, Nadia King. I saw Brent Crabtree before.
0: Who else? Uh, Nancy Lindgren. Rob
2: Craddock and I were, uh, Rob Craddock and I were uh, Beast platoon leader and platoon targets together.
1: Oh, really? He's, he, is he in your company? Yeah, yeah.
2: No, no, no. Just for, just for, uh, when we were going into our first year Okay. We were for the the new plebes coming
1: in. We were beef cadre. Yeah, he's one of those guys that's like beating the trees trying to get uh, classmates to donate. So I'm very I'm very grateful for his <laughs> hard work. I saw that. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, he's one of the, one of the guys. So so you go through this like one year depression, right? And you're kind of like trying to find your <laughs> yeah. way, and then you connect up to yeah. Colonel J Parker, which then led you to Community Solutions, right? So was that kind of your coming out of the? of the doldrums of the transition depression was connecting back up to this, to this mission about ending homelessness.
2: Yeah. yeah. And in in between there, I got licensed as a stockbroker and was a stockbroker for a while, but yeah. And, and then I had a puppy that died and the person I got out of the military to be be with dumped me bad. Like, I mean, really bad. And, Mm. um, so, uh, you know, like that everyone, a lot of people have had that breakup, you know, and, um, And, uh, yeah, and then, like, a dead puppy, and then I was, like, I was overweight, chubby. It's just like, oh, my life just sucked. And uh, and that call to Jay was, I think, changed the trajectory of my life. It was really soon right after this little puppy had died in doggy daycare. And and, and Roseanne Roseanne and I spoke, and we just hit it off, and she was like, come on up and help me end street homelessness here in New York City, and, and, you know... moved up to New York a couple months later, and uh, just, I feel like I got a control-alt-delete on starting a second life, really, and just forever, forever grateful to Roseanne for, I don't know what the heck she was thinking in hiring someone with a military (laughs) background, (laughs) that she thought that that's who she needs to work on street homelessness, but, uh, you know, that maybe it's just fate, but uh, I'll be grateful to her for the rest
1: of my life. Well, she credits that to the real kind of uh, inflection point on the way that she was approaching these complex problems was, you know, the infusion of your new ideas, the military mindset, looking at this as like a, as like a battle space and saying like, we have to map this. We have yeah. to sort of see how things are changing. And she was just like blown away by that. But that is now the the mode through which we have communities doing it all throughout the country. And it was all basically because of your input into it.
2: Yeah, it's kind of crazy. It's like now that's uh, required, I think, right? The stuff that we figured out in Times Square. And, you know, I think Roseanne, yeah, she's being very generous. But, you know, just talk about, like, I think probably a lot of people listening to this, like, are supervising people and are the boss. And she is just such a cool boss in so many ways. Like, not cool to email people at 2 in the morning. But, like, like literally my supervisory meetings with her was she'd say, like, what do you need from me so that you can do your job? And that was it, you know, like what 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 do I need to bust down? you know what barriers do I need to bust down so that you can do what you need to do and she just kind of listened to me, you know like and just was and and sh- she modeled this really cool way of leading that um I, I hope to pay forward to lots of other people too
1: well, we got her we got her boomerang for email now, so she we got that shit squared away, so the emails just all come out like in one like like a like a, like a machine gun at eight o'clock in the morning, they just, you know. <laughs> They get unleashed, so. Um, yeah. No, she's the best, you know, and I think that also, like, you know, to to other people, like thinking about, you know, here we are, we're we're we're, you know, approaching fifty years old. Approaching the back nine of our lives, mm-hmm. you know I mean I mean, mm-hmm. I think that we should all be living to a hundred. we should all be able to work into well into our seventies, right so we're actually just just beginning mm-hmm. to have the kind of contributions to the world that we could have. but I think that one of the things that we bring to the world and I mean when I say we, I mean like leaders with a military background with an education from West Point, is that we get to we get the opportunity to make other people perform at a higher level like that's leadership i guess Mm -hmm. and whether that person is somebody who works for you or you're working for them it's all about trying to make them optimal performers i I feel like sometimes that's you know my role with 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 roseanne so i try to anyway Mm -hmm. i mean she's uh
2: yeah Yeah, yes not about how many followers you you have it's about how many leaders you make right and mm -hmm. how many leaders you support and grow and kick their ass and you know pick them up when they're down and that's i think um to pay it forward by developing future leaders and and people who i mean like look we we need it's all hands on deck as far as i'm concerned like i don't i believe the new york times i still read the new york times every day right But and, you know i gotta say having to memorize the new york times every morning that has paid off probably more than just about anything else at west point mm-hmm. <laughs> you able to basically memorize the paper in 10 minutes but um you know, I, I I personally believe those scientists that this came out about a month ago, that we have about 20 years to turn the world economy on the dime. Like, if now, if now or never, you know, it's do or die. Leadership is every bit of leadership that we can possibly eke out of everybody we can find and develop and nurture and support. And you're right, like, we're on the back nine of our lives, but... Um, but we we're in a space now where we're kind of mentors and coaches, and people look to us. Like I feel, I still feel like I'm a stupid dumb kid, but all these people like look to me for like wisdom and mentoring and stuff. And and uh, we we need we need everybody, you know, um, doing what they can. I think, or or you know, for our kids and their kids, it's going to be pretty bad. I think, you know, the the fires here and. And the people, you know, that are uh, voting with their feet from Central America—that's a dress rehearsal. That's a scrimmage. That's nothing mm-hmm. um, compared to what would happen, you know. And so, um, th- th- I feel a real sense of urgency to to support every leader every sector bringing what they got to the table
1: that's what you know my my kids sometimes they listen to this podcast like you know what's so great about the old grab podcast it's just dad talking like shit with all of his friends about all the stuff that they that they did in the past (laughs) you know and and i I was like you know what it's it may it, it is about that clearly but also Um, It's about trying to orient us to what we're going to do in the future. Like I'm I am Mm -hmm. so inspired by I mean, we've got people we've got classmates in high places doing great things, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, general officers, leaders of businesses, government leaders, social entrepreneurs like it is it is our time like duty shall be done. What a great what a great uh motto that was and i remember also mm-hmm. we're going to go back so general Blank, general bramlett who was our com he said that to us i remember yeah, he said yeah. he said i am jealous of that motto because it's not some bullshit motto uh-huh. like go like 60 or whatever it's actually like it means something <laughs> and uh yeah. you have yeah. you have, now funny thing is we go back you general bramlett is somebody that you knew well right so so tell me that story real quick
2: yeah, um, so he became the comm right before our first year, right? And so um, Karen Rowe, who was our classmate, and then she got held back. I think she ended up being in class of 92. Karen Rowe and I were coming walking back up from the, the EPFT just before classes started, my first year. And um, the, uh, Judy Bramlett, you know, she called herself the comm Tessa, uh, was uh, on, the, on, the, on her porch of the comm's house as we were walking back to the barracks, and she was like, Yoo-hoo! Yoo-hoo! And she was just calling us, and so we basically, like, stood at attention, like some dorky Jim Alpha kids, you know, like across the street from the Tessa. and she was like, hey, come on over, and I think she just wanted to meet people, and um, she had, she, we were, we looked at each other, we looked at her, we were like, we don't think, I don't think we're supposed to be in the comms house in Jim A, and she was like, oh, come on in, it's fine, I'm the Coms wife, and we are like, okay, you're the comms wife. She made us lemonade, gave us cookies, it was asking us what it's like to be a cadet now and being just so sweet. And then we, we heard this like, this hinge door, the squeaky hinge door of like, honey, I'm home. And it was General Bramlett. And Judy looked at us like, I don't think you're supposed to be here. We were like, we know we're not supposed to be here. And she was like, you've got to go. And we were like, we know. But she didn't, like, try to hide us or anything. And But she just kind of really sheepishly went out and said, like, hey, honey, I have some cadets here. And uh, General Bramlett looked at us like, you know you're not supposed to be here. And we were like, yeah, I know. And uh, we were just scared scared to be uh, to uh like, oh great, you know? And uh he was like, Get out of here, go out the back door <laughs> I'm like, don't I me see you and um and Judy uh was, was became a friend. She was very involved in the, the the Catholic stuff and I was involved in the Catholic things at the time and and uh she's someone that I would kind of look to as a confidant or as just what's her advice on things and um and then even after I graduated I stayed in touch with her and would visit her um, and General Bramlett got stationed, uh, I think he was a PACOM commander or something ridiculous when I was a lieutenant out in Hawaii, and so, like, I'd have Thanksgiving at their house, and just just really, you know, just, just good, good people, and met wonderful people through them, too, and, um, and, and stayed in touch with her long after I was out of the Army, too, visited her, whatever, I'd go back to, they retired in Hawaii right by uh, uh, for those of us who were stationed in Hawaii, lucky enough, uh, I lived at Waimea Bay. Judy and General Bramlett lived at Iliohu Court um, right before you get to Waimea Bay on the Cam Highway and um, would visit them when I would, would go. But um, she died of lung cancer um, 10 years ago, actually 10 years ago this month. And, um, and her ashes were spread in Waimea Bay if anybody's ever out that way. Um, that's kind of a really sacred space for her and for general brainwit. And, uh, yeah, just, uh, uh, she's just uh, very lucky to know her. Every time I'd go visit her, she'd make me go to mass with her though, which was always kind of a drag. She was Mm. just super super Catholic lady. She'd be like, okay, we'll go to mass. Then we'll go to lunch. I'd be like, oh man, I got to pray to eat, you know, (laughs) but she's done tease her about it. And, um, just good people, super good people.
1: Yeah. Did he get, was he a four star general at the end?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think so. I don't know. uh, like he commanded force, force com. Yeah. yeah that's, a, that's a force. That's a four
1: star. Is that a four star yeah. thing? I think I mean, there's so. only,
2: there's yeah, only, yeah, there's, there's
1: so. only 11 four star generals, like, you know, at any given time, or maybe 12 or something. So that's a pretty, I mean, there, there's, that's, that's a pretty, that's like, and I think he's the second or third at least come to get to the fourth star. Cause I, I know that also, uh, Foley did general and Abizade is mm-hmm. another one. I mean, so as, as a pretty, yeah. that's a pretty rocking job to have. I think if you're, if you want to have a yeah. big career, so, um,
2: yeah, he, he's he's a good man. You know, I've, I've seen him since also I've been back. I try to go back to Hawaii whenever I can. And I, I make it a point to go out of my way and go visit with him too. And, and, uh, and so he and I have stayed more, lo- I was more friends with Judy, but, um, mm-hmm. to, to, to stay in touch with him as well, too, just, uh, you know, it's, you know it's, when you're in the military rank seems like it's a big deal, but then, and it is, I mean, he's a four-star general, like I respect that. And, you know, we all put our boots on and our, sh- and our pants on the same way and we're all just human beings too. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so like super duper respect and all that, but the, you know, we're we're just all folks, too, right? You know, everyone's doing trying to serve and do the best they can in different capacities.
1: Who else do you stay in touch with from uh, from school?
2: I I stay in touch with um, with Beach Pace. Mm-hmm. Um, she and she works for. I, I'm all, I'm kind of a little bit. If anybody ever wants to get into the nonprofit sector, I've got connections. You know, I think if people kind of are looking for that for second careers. Um, so I helped her do that. Um, uh, Holly, Holly Craig, now Holly Silkman, who is my roommate. Um, I was just texting with her today. She was like, Jamie Schleck has a podcast. And I was like, yeah, you got to hear it. She was all excited about that. Um, who were who who the, the,
1: who were the other, yeah. who were the other female cadets from your company? Like just you me have, and Holly just two.
2: yeah, did you start, yeah, did you yeah, start yeah, with so, more than two? We started with four but by beast it was just me and one other woman named Stacy Holland. And uh-huh. then after plea beer, Stacy Holland I think she made it, made of gone to Staff and then didn't pass staff or something and so she was out. And then I was the only yearling in our class in my company, so they roomed me with the cows. Okay. And then and then my cow year, they moved Holly from I two down so that I would have a classmate you know mm-hmm. um who of uh, so so she had to she had to scramble actually, which you know I'm sure that wasn't cool for her, she had all her good friends there and all um but um that you know, had to suck. yeah know, friend totally. for life you know yeah,
1: that's awesome, awesome yeah, but that that must have been terrible for her,
2: yeah, right, I think so, yeah, she really she was a good sport about it, you know mm-hmm. and uh, you know you just uh, three floors down right like but but right. it's very different right but and but it couldn't be a better person than than mm-hmm. holly craig and you, you should interview her for your show she's just so so stinking funny well, and well we've got, got
1: great stories we've got i mean I, I mean i think i will continue this after the end of the year i said i would go to the end of the year and we would reevaluate i think i'll continue to do it but you know if i if i interview two classmates uh a month uh we've got 800 classmates i could do this for 16 years before i before i run out of people so i'll definitely get around to her for sure um i think think
2: it's so cool you're doing it yeah it's just so cool and i'm I'm looking forward to listening to all the podcasts and um of just hearing who people became and how you know it was 30 years ago right we were all at school and our lives crossed at some of this really significant formative period. And then we all kind of went in our own different directions, but, Mm -hmm. but we went through a very unique, you know, experience. We my, my wife and I just had our next door neighbors over to dinner. And the first thing they shared was that they met um, protesting the Vietnam war together when they were at um, UC Santa Barbara. And, and they're, you know, so I was like, okay, all right. And uh, I was going to, slip in that i'm gonna slip away from dinner to go do a podcast with all my west point classmates. (laughs) here's this dude that like was protesting the vietnam war and you know and listen every social p i had was like vietnam war horrible mistake blah 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 right like i don't think i think even at the institution itself they were pretty clear that that uh lots to learn from that one right? right but um when I said I was gonna go do this thing at West Point, he was like so fascinated, right? There's such a mystique about West Point of this very unique experience that we all shared. And even people who are out protesting the wars are like, Oh my god, tell me about West Point. <laughs> well, so, I mean not, not only do we uh, spend four
1: yeah. year, not only do we spend four years together going through the same kind of like, you know, formative and uh, you know, challenging uh endeavor. But then we all went into the army together. So our first, you know, however yeah. many years, you know, of our first job and, you know, f- you know, five well, it's five years, 10 years or, you know, a career, there is this common linkage we all have to that. Like y- you can go to any other elite institution. Those people are not going to all do the same job. So there's like, like an point. amazing cohesiveness, I think, that we have um, more so than anywhere else. So. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, it's 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 amazing, and that's so why I, I love being able to talk to people. I mean, everybody has a story. Every single one of our classmates has a story—a story of challenge and triumph, and and heartbreak. And you know, we get a chance to talk mm-hmm. about those on this uh, old grad podcast. Um, you know, I yeah yeah I have the list of your uh, A two company mates, uh, the Spartans, and uh, there's a few yeah, yeah there's a few names here. There's a few celebrities that I that I know of here. Uh, good. Good good uh-huh. folks I went to uh I did go to Ranger school with with Brian Reese and uh, OBC so that was that was a lot of fun but I recently you know I did this old grad podcast I went on location down the Carlisle barracks uh, and I interviewed yeah, yeah. four of our classmates and I stayed with uh doug Doug Winton in, in, uh, ah, and cool. and yeah. Yeah. and I wish that I had the camera rolling for the next morning because we had like we had breakfast like six o'clock in the morning and we're just talking and he just gone out to his chicken coop and pulled out four eggs from the chicken, from the chicken coop. Cause he, he lives in a beautiful, <laughs> he lives in a beautiful home, uh-huh. like in the rolling Hills of Pennsylvania. He's uh, on the faculty there at, um, at Carlisle. Oh, wow. And you know, he's, yeah, he, yeah, And he's shaping the, he's shaping the, the, you know, the, the learning of, of senior military officers. And we're just sitting there talking about, you know, all these various different things, but we're talking about the chickens. I thought that was like, Kind of a cool thing. So he just basically has four chickens that just cranks out four eggs every day. Right? It's like we're running the profit and loss on it. Like okay, so like because like it's literally is literally like zero um, effort to have chickens in your backyard. You just go out there, you feed them, and and then they crank out four eggs. and, And so. Uh, just the funny conversation we had talking about his chickens. He loves his, he said, you know what, even if, even if I'm probably breaking even, or maybe even like saving a little bit of money. But to me, what matters is when they come up to me in the morning and they take the chicken feet out of my hand. Like that, that is like, (laughs) he, he, he he finds great. He finds a great connection to his four chickens. I was like, that's pretty cool, man. So, you know,
2: he's, he's good. He's such a good guy. And, and, um, we I think there's you know, we kind of always knew he'd go far, right? And uh yay for him and his chickens. You know, and I we were talking about getting chickens, but there's so many coyotes, there's mountain lions and coyotes and stuff where we live and uh I don't think they would last very long. Mm-hmm. But it's uh I, I I envy I envy Doug.
1: <laughs> yeah. They uh they crank out they crank out an egg every twenty six hours. So basically like every fifth day or sixth day, like they don't give you one, but then they give you one the next day. That's how it works. That's their,
2: uh... keep you honest.
1: Yeah. <laughs> have you ever, have you ever, uh, yeah. have you ever like raised chickens or anything like that?
2: No, no, but, um, you know, a lot of people out here do for sure.
1: Yeah. Once they stop producing, then you know what happens?
0: Oh, you, you've you done them. Jo- Joe's done them. Joe's. Yeah. Joe's no, in. what
2: happens? No.
0: Both my boys, we did at uh their Grammy's house when they were yeah. younger. Yeah. Uh, we had uh, six, six chickens. Yeah. Once they stop producing,
1: that's, once they yeah. start producing, then then they become... Uh, dinner. Dinner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's what happens. Yeah. Well, it's a minimal investment, yeah. just feed in water yeah. and containment. So Yeah. But know. then they just
1: crank out those eggs for you. Yeah, they do. And those eggs are good for like 30 days. They're
0: excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, like,
1: so... Yeah.
0: No it's, need to refrigerate them either, really, uh, yeah. immediately. So there's, yeah. you know... So, so Becky,
1: we got like 10 minutes left in our, in our set time here. So, uh, we've been through a lot of different things. We talked about being a cadet, struggling with, uh, the challenges of yeah. being a cadet and being gay and, and coming to grips with that yeah. and being in the army and don't ask, don't tell and serving as special units and serving our country, looking to end homelessness and, um, and, uh. Moving out to California and 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 meeting the love of your life, your wife Christine, and and your yeah, kids, yeah. and you are kicking ass and taking names as the head of the Billions Institute and changing the world through educating the leaders of these nonprofits. Um, when you know you look back and all the things you've done, what is there anything you would do differently? I mean, you mentioned like you said, what, what if I had gone to Smith College instead of going on to West Point? <laughs> yeah. Like, like what what, yeah, I mean, what do you think about with, with that?
2: Differently like in the military context.
1: Anything.
2: I I, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's just so many um, choice points mm-hmm. where your life can go left or your life can go right and just you pick one and then you don't know what would have been. Um, I feel like I have tons of those, right? That are just clear choice points, right? And... I certainly, I don't have any regrets, right? Like, I think, I, I regret lying about being gay. I really do, but I do not know what else I would have done. I right. just really, truly do not know what else I would have done, right? Um, uh, like, it just, I wouldn't trade anything for, right now, my, my my family. I love them fiercely, or I feel so blessed we have a we have a nice home like it's you know it's not it's it's relatively modest but it's really comfortable and safe and and the work I get to do I mean I'm every every day working with people who are solving the world's biggest problems you know and they look to me for like, for advice and half the time I want to kind of look over my shoulder and be like you're asking me but they really do and I, I just I, I couldn't be more more fortunate and um So it's, 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 it's hard to imagine, you know, I think like one of the, (laughs) one of the choice points that I, 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 I think, you know, it's, it's like, what is the through line, right? Like, what are the things that you always come back to? Like what, what, no matter what, whether it's this decision or that decision, I feel like I, what I always come back to is how can I be of service? And, uh, and, 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 and I don't know that that, uh. I think i showed up at west point in a way with that but i also think that west point reinforced that too um and made that even stronger uh, that ethos and i think that that's something that a lot of us have in common that i feel i feel honored to be in 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 company with people who want to be of service
1: well we're all linked through those four words right duty shall be done and i think that you know i mean whether we're whether we're working in the for profit for profit sector or non profit or education or whatever i think that there's always this common uh this common like uh thread that connects all of us right like this this kind of gut mm-hmm. check or like am i am in what i am i measuring up am i am i doing the things that uh that that we're all committed to be doing and 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 Becky mm-hmm. you certainly lead the way in that in that regard i mean i yeah. i'm so Um, humbled and impressed and inspired by the work that you do and what you stand for and your journey. Um, I'm so grateful for it and and how it intersected with mine. Uh, And thankfully, it it came down to that 60 minutes episode that I watched and I got back in touch with you. And next thing you knew, I was, you know, working as a, as a uh, donor advisor, and then eventually as a, as a team member here at community solutions. And so I'm very grateful for that. Um, you know, we've got just a few more minutes left, but any other last thoughts that you have with regard to your journey, our class, the army, uh, anything?
2: I think, you know, you had mentioned that you went to the night one of the nights out dinners. Oh think, yeah. We have talked talk about people... that shit. Yeah. We should. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 So people know like the real history that like. <laughs> regardless of your of where you stand on this, like that your classmate helped uh, found Nights Out, and so uh, there was this group, the uh, Service Academy Gay and Lesbian Association, or something like that, of Air Force, Navy, Coast Guard, West Point, and Merchant Marines. It was just kind of a social club they'd hang out, and then they decided they wanted to have a West Point specific group of LGBT club or something, and they asked me to be the first board chair, and um, because of my experiences with Donuts Hotel don't and the Honor Code and all that. I said it was just mostly it was a lot of gay men actually that were involved in that. And I said, um, yeah, but it's not going to be a social club. Um, it's it, if I take on the chair, it's because we're going to take down Donuts Hotel, don't um, and we have West Point have a key role and take it down to the hotel. And they're like, all right, that's cool. So I became the chair of this newly formed organization, and we built it from scratch. and And what we did was we got a, a, as many people who are out of the Army and in a safe space to be able to come out without sacrificing their careers in any way to publicly come out on our website mm-hmm. um, as, um, as LGBT or also as an ally. So some people came out as just as an ally. And uh, um, and we kind of had a, I, I think, that, that that was, there were many forces working to get rid of Donato Hotel, I think, in 2010 or so. But uh, I, the the group of West Point grads, we 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 were very active actually in that advocacy efforts and behind the scenes and making that happen. And so, and and our main talking point was no one should have to lie, no one should have to break the honor code about something so kind of basic as who you love. And uh, I, I'm I'm really proud to have gotten to do that. And now they have like a gala or something. They yeah, have like a I dinner. To, I went to it, it last like, year. What the hell? <laughs> like that? Who would have ever thought that there would be some gay straight alliance at West Point or something, but, but that's what happened. And what, like, just a funny backstory of Sue Fulton, who was class of 80, had been a friend of mine. And, um, my first phone call and they asked me to be the board chair was to Sue Fulton of like, Hey, will you be your communications director? And she was like, Becky, I'm busy. And I was like, Hey man, maybe you'll get to meet Rachel Maddow. I knew she was like a big Rachel Maddow fan. And she was like, Becky, I'm in, you know? <laughs> and, so, and she did. She's like buzzed with Rachel Maddow now. But anyways, um, we heard there' was a diversity conference at West Point, and we were like, "Well, we figured it was about racial diversity, but we figured, well we should or gender diversity, whatever. we were like, "Well, we should go, and we'll be the skunk of the party," and people would be like, "Oh, all homophobic at us, but we should at least go and like introduce ourselves and say what we're doing." So we were prepared for people to be kind of homophobic and mean to us, and this was, like in maybe oh six or 7 or something like that. So here's Sue and I show up waiting to be expected to be the skunk of the party we meet the brigade first captain and they were like, Oh my God, we're so done with don't Ask tell. Can you please help get rid of it? Everybody knows who's gay. We don't care. You know, and all the officers were like, Oh my God, I'm so glad you're here. to, talk to us." And it was just such a huge surprise. You know, it was just really funny. Like thinking, um, that, you know, really the times have changed basically. And, um, it was, it was, it was such an honor to get to be part of that too. And, and meet people all the way back from like world war two veterans who came out. Um, and, uh, kind of awesome you know and who had lived in the closet all those years and uh I, I i did like two years or a year or two and then passed passed the baton on to the next next group of folks doing it but i can't believe that that they have like dinners and two-star generals come and talk to people <laughs> and uh, that's really
1: awesome yeah the two-star general i mean he, he he's married he's he's uh you know lived 25 years in the closet uh in in the military and then was able to mm-hmm. you know say this is my husband um and uh yeah so it it was it was amazing and and one of the people that was also um recognized last year was my company mate uh ed urbaniac who's class of 89 and he mm-hmm. said he said well, you know he's oh yeah he said jamie why why are you here like what 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 do you have what what um you know what uh what what do you have in this game and I said or you know what what uh what stake do you have in this and I said you know my my interest is in is in justice and and I'm so happy mm-hmm. the fact that you know here we are we're 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 able to do this as an institution and celebrate it and and be on the be on the leading edge and um so anyway that's that's why I was there, and I was happy to be able to share that moment with him so
2: Wow, Jamie, listen, you're such a good dude. I can't believe I even get to be your friend. Like oh, you, They really, you no, you're awesome. And wow. I I really, truly, like, and Roseanne's lucky to have you working at Common Ground. And
1: Come, no, don't say Common to Ground. Community Solutions, just clarify. Community
2: Solutions, Community Solutions, yeah. yeah. And, you know, just, I think we're all of us in my uh, Class of 91. And, you know, for all you know, this could this like a time capsule. You know what I mean? Like, there might be, a hundred years from now, some cadets being like, what was it like back then? You know, right? Like, and, and, uh, you're creating something really awesome here.
1: Well, if nothing else, my kids listen to it and make fun of me unmercifully. Cause that's what they do. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait t- My, till mine do that too. I'll tell you last thing. I was, I was tucking my son into bed, um, last week and, uh, <laughs> he's like sucking his thumb and I'm like kind of snuggling with him. He calls me boo. He goes, Hey boo. I really want you to be around to meet my kids someday. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Yeah, me too,
1: bud. Me <laughs> Definitely.
2: Too. I hope I live that long too. <laughs> I live that long too. <laughs> out of the, the, the out of the mouth of babes. Yeah. Say some
1: funny things. So much fun. Well, Becky, thank you. This has been great. Uh and we're uh we got a couple of big things coming up. We got Ted Russ next week uh, on the twenty fifth, and then Amuso George on December second, and then of course the big big day, December eighth, is when we're going to be beating Navy. Uh, so a lot of big events coming up here. So I think that um, it's been a great night, Becky. Thank you for making the time for us. Uh, it's been it's been awesome to get to know you even better, and I'm so grateful that. I call you classmate and friend. So thanks so much, and duty shall be done. All
2: right, thank you, Jamie. Have a good night. And
0: Jamie, real quick before we wrap up, let everybody know where remind them where they can find the podcast. They can find this on Podbean and uh, look up uh, Old Grab Podcast. And also on Facebook, this broadcast will be available in about five minutes. Once again, thank you for joining us this week. We'll see you next week on the Old Grad Podcast. Thank you for joining us on this edition of the Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast. Please check back on this Facebook page for information about featured guests and upcoming episodes of the Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast.